You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 13 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and more. We're recording on Thursday, April 23rd, 2015. On today's episode, the Apple Watch is finally shipping. We're going to talk launch day supplies, the leaked Angela Arendt's internal video talking about Apple Watch sales in retail stores and more. Neil has our 12-inch MacBook Retina review. Google announced Project Fi, its own mobile network for the Nexus 6, and an iPod Touch update may be coming this fall. We'll talk about all this and more. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm Mikey. I'm Shane. And I'm Stephen Robles. And thanks for joining us. Thanks to you guys on Periscope again. Apple Watch, it's coming. I got my uh, notification this morning that the Apple Watch should be delivered tomorrow. Friday, April 24th, on launch day. Did uh, any of you guys get such a, uh, a notice? No. Nope. Now, you guys, Mikey and Neil, you guys did pre-order it, though, right? Yeah, I pre-ordered about 10 minutes after they uh, became available. Uh, and I guess there seems to be some sort of an issue with the Space Gray, because it seems like if you didn't get it in the first minute or two, nobody's getting Space Gray tomorrow. Yeah. And, my, Mikey, which one did you get? Um, I got, uh, 42 stainless like you, except with the sport bend. Right. Yeah. And what is it, what does it say? When is it coming? Um, still processing. So. Oh, processing. Okay. Yeah. But, uh. Don't you have a before May delivery though? Yeah. Yeah. Mine is, uh, like May 11th through 23rd, I believe. Hmm. Uh, it must be the second batch or whatever. Yeah. So Hopefully there, it'll be sooner. Yeah, so we, we posted a couple articles this week. One that some of them were going out earlier than expected. And um, we actually had a lot of people tweet at us yesterday and this morning that theirs were marked for June or late May, and now it's coming tomorrow. They're actually getting it tomorrow. So a lot of those were sports I saw. And uh, others received a notice saying that Apple is working on processing your order and basically... Tough luck. Sorry, it's going to come later. So you're in one of two, one of two camps. Um, so obviously supplies are still constrained. And then the other thing that uh, we released this week was Angela Arendt's. Uh, there was a leaked video that was actually just supposed to be internal to Apple employees. And she was describing, again, the thought process behind uh, the way they're doing the watch, how it's online only, and it uh, won't be available to buy in Apple stores until June. So people are definitely going to have to wait. But on the flip side, we also saw that some boutique stores are actually going to have some stock tomorrow. Uh, nothing in the U.S. or well, there's one in Los Angeles, Maxfield in Los Angeles. But basically, you know, these stores like Colette in Paris, uh, Dover Street Market in London, and Tokyo, things like that, are actually going to have some in store. So, thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, no, no edition models though, in case you're uh, mm, in case you're a high roller. Up. <laughs> yeah, so about that video, you know, I've heard differing opinions, you know, that Apple, you know, launch days are always huge for Apple. People love lining up and just waiting, you know, to buy the kind of stuff. And then the in-store experience is really what makes it uh, special. And people have kind of been against this whole online thing. But, uh, I mean, with the supply constraints that, that it seems like they're having, I don't see how they could have done that with this kind of brand new product. I don't know. It's a, I think it's just there's so many areas for the system to break down in terms of 
components and models and styles and bands and all that, that there's probably a few bottlenecks that they're hitting in terms of ramping up production. And that's probably, they saw that coming and th- that's why they decided not to do it at retail. Yeah. Interesting that they're, um, also, oh, they also did the same thing for the MacBook too. Right. Yeah. And that's, well, we'll get to that too. Cause Neil had a review. So, but anyway, yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say, you know, hopefully, um, again, I think mine is the only one that's actually, it's actually shipped and I got the notice that it should, um, be coming tomorrow. Uh, and if it is, watch on Periscope. I may do some uh, Q&A live unboxing and uh, things like that. And, of but course, we'll have some videos that going up. Regarding the Angela video, I, I did have a conversation once with a uh, manager in an Apple store who told me that uh, they did not know ahead of time what the videos were going to be about. And all the employees would sit down and watch them in the store. And then afterwards, all the employees would assume that the managers knew what the subject was going to be. and come up with all these questions. And they'd be like, I really don't know. Hmm. Yeah, she did seem kind of. She didn't seem nervous in the video, but it seemed kind of awkward, you know, what she was descri- how she was explaining it. Yeah, I don't think she usually. Um, I think I've seen I've seen another video of her, and she seemed more prepared for the um, for that one than uh, this Apple Watch slash MacBook update. Yeah, and she um, and guys on Periscope, I see uh, there's no camera on the watch. Thanks, Shane, for answering that. And uh, sorry if the audio is bad for some of you. I'm using the iRig to get the audio into the iPad. So we'll try and work on that for next time. Um, but, you know, they they released several internal memos before the video, you know, kind of explaining the same thing. And it just seems like maybe Apple told her, listen, you, you need to do a video to address this because I think a lot of Apple Store employees were getting flack, you know, for some of that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I wonder how much of this was her idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, to... Um, really push the whole Apple Watch try-on thing. Um, you know, I mean, it's the first time they released a product or at least had demos of a product early in stores, right. you know, before you could even buy it. So, I mean, they're, you know, drumming up all this interest and then, um, you know, the pre-order hits and then boom, there's, you can't yeah. really buy one. And they, they had to have been expecting you know, pre-orders to, to sell out quickly and people not be able to get it uh, mm-hmm. for a long time. So it, it almost seems even stranger to do, you know, play with it in the store two weeks before it's released. But if you do wait to play with it in the store, you're not going to get one until June anyway. You know, yeah. if you waited till after you played with it to pre-order, you're not going to see it till the summer. So uh, it, it, it is curious. They could have had pre-orders on the day that it launched and it would you'd still be uh, playing with it about a month before you could get one. Yeah. Well, and as I noted last week, too, the employees seem kind of confused at the start of the try-ons, too. It just seems like there's a lot uh, going on for them in terms of a new platform, new launch strategy. Uh, and I guess, you know, when you do something like that, there's bound to be some confusion. You can't get everybody on the same page that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how many uh, come in tomorrow. And if, again, if I get mine, watch us on Periscope and other places, see if we can do um, some quick Q&A and uh unboxing and things like that so neil i wanted to get to you you got the uh, 12 inch retina macbook the new macbook in hand and you did a great review on the site encourage Thank everyone you. to check it out uh but uh, tell us about it how did you uh, feel using it you know I, I really like it a lot and my review was generally positive it's just that there are so many uh little sacrifices that had to be made to get it to this small size that at some point they just you know death by a thousand paper cuts or something 
it just all seemed to kind of catch up with the device. And I'm actually working on a feature for this weekend, uh, another editorial just about using the MacBook Pro and just kind of a day of using it because I wrote the entire review on, I'm sorry, MacBook, MacBook, I should say. Uh, I wrote the entire review on the MacBook and uh, that was fine. The keyboard didn't really bother me. It's a little shallower. It definitely feels different. But um, I could not actually transfer the photos that I shot on my Sony camera to the MacBook (laughs) to upload for the review because I didn't have an adapter. I didn't have a way to plug in an SD card. I I suppose I could have because my camera has a wireless function. I could have transferred it to my phone and then uploaded to iCloud and then had it on my computer. But at that point, it was just like, whatever, I'm just going to plug the SD card to my MacBook Pro and I'm going to upload the photos that way. And so that was just kind of like where everything ground to a halt. It was like I was okay with it. I was okay with it. And I was like, I can't even transfer my photos over. So I I feel like, you know, for somebody who wants to spend $1,300 on a computer that they're just going to use to, you know, occasionally send emails, edit documents, check Facebook, that kind of stuff, that's great. But, uh, you know, when you think about the retina display and stuff like that and some of the features that might be more geared toward pro users, I can't see this being an appealing uh, laptop for a lot of pro users or for people who, uh, you know, need to occasionally plug in their camera or do something like that. So uh, There's a wireless future coming, but it's not right. quite here yet. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of, I mean, from what it sounded like, Neil, it it sounds like the uh, first gen um, Air. Is that kind of what the Absolutely. feeling you've got? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there are just too many compromises here, and the future hasn't really caught up with where this is going yet. Uh, I would really like to see the return of a MagSafe connector on this. Uh, you know, I think that's a great defining feature of Apple's laptops. Uh, some people in the comments disagree with me and said they don't care about MagSafe, so to each their own. Uh, but, you know, at least uh, another port or something, uh, more accessories that are compatible with the USB-C connector, uh, something. But the fact that you can't plug something in and charge it at the same time is a bit much. And I realize that they don't want to ship it with an adapter for the first gen because that just seems you know, like a not an Apple thing to do, but I didn't get an adapter with this notebook and I was testing it out and I literally couldn't plug anything into it and transfer my photos over. (laughs) So, you know, then you got to go buy a cable and some of the adapters that they're offering are like four to six weeks wait to get it. So it's just at this point, I think it's too many compromises for the average consumer. If you're okay with those compromises, you'll be really happy with this notebook. It's it's a really beautiful machine. I don't really think that the underpowered processor is much of an issue. The keyboard's not an issue. The trackpad's not an issue. The screen's beautiful. The battery life's fine. You know, it's just little things here and there that keep adding up. And then it, it just in the end, the, as a whole product, it's like I think most people are going to want to wait a few years to to buy into something like this. Could you get through a day with a battery pretty easily? I mean, yeah, that- the, the battery life was not an issue at all. Uh, you know, I, I had it set to uh, moderate brightness, uh, the auto adjust on that, and uh, that really was not a problem. Uh, taking it around, using it without ha- leaving it plugged in. I did a stress test on the battery with like the brightness cranked up all the way and streaming HD video and stuff, and it still got like five and a half, six hours out of it at that point. So, I mean, I, I think the battery is perfectly fine. You, you would get through a full workday with this without having to plug it in. Yeah, it it feels like if you're a writer, primarily, like this would be a great machine, like. But you don't have to deal with, you know, screenshots or pictures or things like that. Right. I mean, I'm a writer primarily, but I have to do occasional uh, photos, and I don't do them that often. But 
if I have to do it once a week or even once a month and it's going to be, I have to have this adapter and maybe I brought it with me, maybe I forgot it, maybe I lost the thing, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things that for the average computer user today in 2015, I think it might be a little too much to, to cut out. A lot of people are saying I think it's a that, lot too much to cut out. Yeah. Truthfully. A lot of people saying in Periscope, they miss the MagSafe and you know, you'd have to see, I, I'm also curious, you know, college student wise, Neil, do you think, I mean, when I was in college, I didn't have many peripherals to connect, you know, to my computer and things like that. I would take pictures, you know, with my phone or whatever. I mean, do you think a modern college student today would, uh, this would be a good machine for them or not yet? Yeah, I, I think so. I got to wonder about the future proofness of it just because of the, the processor. If you're going to invest $1,300 in a computer, you might want one that you know is going to run pretty well on, you know, OS 10.13 or something like that, right? Uh, but I, I think that for a, a college student, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, it, it's portable. It's light. I, I, did we really need to cut that much weight off the MacBook Air? I don't know, but it's definitely an impressive achievement. And if you're okay with spending $1,300 on it, it's fine. And if you look at, you know, 11-inch MacBook Air, you can get that starting at 900 bucks. But that only comes right. with 128 gigs of storage. So at least this on the base model has 256 gigs. So right. they did add some premium stuff to kind of justify the price. But... Again, just too much, and 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 the USB-C cable when you plug it into charge, you know, talk about MagSafe again, it plugs in very solidly. You're not going to yank it out, and this thing is so light. If someone tripped over a cord, your laptop is going flying. I mean, it, right. you're you're going to have a big problem on your hands if if someone yanks the cord. Some someone asked in Periscope, what's the uh, you know long-term solution for one port? I think it's just one port. <laughs> I mean, it's the same solution Apple had, I think, for FireWire and yeah. for uh, you know disk, you know, optical drives and everything yeah. else, you know, that I think it's just going to keep trying to get rid well, of it. Well, if you, if you take that question as what's the market solution eventually for minimal numbers of ports, the answer is wireless USB. Right. Yeah. I mean, but even, and you know, there's, there's no, there's no other answer. It's wireless USB. That's what it is. But for, I'm, I'm thinking again, like uh, some friends I have are, are still in college. Spotify is the predominant music service. Uh, you know, they're not buying CDs. They're not ripping CDs or anything like that. So they don't need an optical drive. You know, they're streaming Netflix and, you know, getting their content, video content digitally that way, YouTube, things like that. Uh, you know, they're not using, you know, peripheral mouse and stuff like that unless they're a gamer, but they're not going to buy a laptop like this. So, you know, maybe it's okay, you know, one port, you know, external display. Well, I was, but again, well, I was yeah, talking to Neil the other day about this. My point to him was to say that it's really going to kill business users. College students, you may be right, probably are not going to care so much. Right. But businessmen who regularly travel with, say, an external hard drive and a USB mouse and use their laptop to charge their iPhone, it's <laughs> an absolutely killer problem. Yeah. You know, what? Setting up shop in an airport in the corner, the, yeah. the businessman with a thick 17-inch laptop and a mouse plugged in, oh yeah. yeah. A friend of mine actually still has and uses a 17-inch MacBook Pro from like four years ago or something, and, and he, <laughs> he brought it to a rehearsal, and I was looking at it down the side it had, you know, the audio, the headphone jack, the audio input as a separate jack, three USB ports, FireWire 800, the Thunderbolt, the Ethernet port, and then MagSafe. And I looked at it pretty jealously because I have an iMac here. That's what I'm doing this on. And, and I was looking at FireWire audio interfaces, and I was having to think, I'd have to get an adapter. You know, you have to get a Thunderbolt to FireWire. And I already use an external hard drive in the Thunderbolt, and I already have a, a video thing in the other. And it's just... It can be a hassle, especially when you're doing, you know, applications like recording or you do any kind of production stuff with your Mac. So, 
I, I think this stuff is inevitable, right? It's all going to be wireless and limited ports in the future. It's just that we're not there yet. I'm a big proponent of smaller and lighter laptops. I've always had tiny laptops. Uh, when I was in college, I had a 12-inch uh, IBM ThinkPad, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that those are, are kind of the way of the future, but this is just too much right now, and, and it's going to have to wait a little bit. And I, I know a lot of people in the comments were unhappy with my review because they thought it should have been given a higher score or something like that, but, I mean, that's just the reality of it. I can't see a huge market for this notebook. I, a lot of people are going to be really happy with it, but most computer users today would not be happy with this notebook. Yeah, it's an aspirational product. It's Definitely for the future. Well, right, and you can see that in, in other Apple products too, right? If you look at the iPod Touch from 2012 or whatever, that really w set the stage for where the iPhone was going in a lot of ways, even with a protruding camera and stuff like that. So yeah. I think that uh, uh, Apple does this kind of stuff sometimes where you can see now where they want their entire notebook line to be headed and what they want them to look like and the aesthetic and, and the size and the style and, and all that. And this is definitely, like you said, an aspirational product. And that's a, you mentioned the iPod Touch. That's a great uh, segue because today we had an exclusive uh, on Thursday. We posted it that the iPod Touch refresh uh, might be coming, or iTouch, as some of you may know it as. Uh, probably not even <laughs> listening to this, but uh, uh, so iPod. You know, I, when we posted that, I had to go back on Apple's website and look to see what iPods they were still selling because I just had not <laughs> looked at it in forever. And when I went on the website to look at it, like looking at the currently selling iPod Touch, it's like looking into the past. Like it's almost like a time capsule. Um, just, you know, four-inch retina display is one of the big features. The the loop thing on the back, like it's it's just almost weird to see it. So I'm curious. Well, if you want to see it, if you want to see a time capsule, look at the iPod Nano. Because yeah, they skinned Pixel, they skinned the iPod OS, which I think is based on Pixel, to look like iOS 6, and it still looks like iOS 6. <laughs> and the website, it's still yeah. got bold myriad everywhere, and the buttons are still glossy. And That's an actual, like, currently selling time capsule. Yeah, and it's there's no Wi-Fi. It has Bluetooth, though, Bluetooth 4, 4.0. So you Ooh. can use uh, Bluetooth headphones, but you actually, you know, physically have to connect it to a Mac if you want to, you know, put music on it. Couldn't connect it to the new Retina 12-inch MacBook because there's no USB right. 2 on there. Um, but yeah, that and then the iPod Shuffle, you know, this was, it was funny, the, the current iPod Shuffle is, you know, the, the square with the round, uh, you know, kind of click wheel. And I remember this was like an older model because in between there was like that no button silver, like Pez dispenser iPod Shuffle. Like, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and then they realized that I that was a I think I'm the idea. only person who actually liked that iPod Shuffle. The no button one? Are you also a supporter yeah, of the I fat the nano? Yeah. I'm not, um, but I mean, the iPod shuffle <laughs> is what it is. You hit play and then you move on with your life, right? Yeah. It you was have good. headphone remotes. How many buttons do you really need on the damn thing? Do you take your phone out of your pocket to change the song? No, you push the little button on your headphones. I, Are you Siri? <laughs> I'm going to use my Apple Watch, <laughs> so there you go. Um, but, you know, the shuffle was perfect. Like, if you did any kind of exercising, like, it was actually a clip. Like the thing was a clip, you know. I so preferred the clip on Nano. That thing was awesome. There was a clip on Nano, was it? Yeah, yeah. It was the one that people started turning into watches. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they somehow fit a thirty-pin connector on that tiny thing. I, that was yeah. an amazing achievement in and of itself. And I, I actually used to work out with that, and I bought a little Bluetooth adapter, and it would kill the battery in about forty-five minutes. But uh, I, I would use it wirelessly at the gym and just clip it onto my shirt. It was awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so a refresh might be coming, uh, presumably maybe in the fall, maybe WWDC, but 
Um, I guess my question is, who would buy refreshed iPod Touch? I mean, I guess maybe for kids. Yeah, but... children, entry-level device. Uh, you know, they might rebrand or refocus a little bit now with uh, the acquisition of Beats. You know, right. since we got the tip sent to us, uh, we've all been kind of tossing around, figuring out what they might do uh, since we're not really sure. But, uh, you know, the acquisition of Beats might play into it. Um, maybe, uh, you know, there's some talk about maybe they would make it a little cheaper, go with like a plastic back or something like that, especially if the 5C is going to die, right. uh, market it to kids or people that, you know, don't want an iPhone or can't afford one or something like that. How about this question that I just had a curiosity, what was your guys' first iPod, if ever, if you owned one? Second gen. The, the um, yeah, same. Yeah. Was that the color screen? No. The click wheel. It was, yeah. The first click wheel. Okay. Sick. And Neil, did you have? I was a holdout, and I had a Creative Nomad for a while with a, a, oh a side jog dial on it because it was about hundred bucks cheaper than the iPod, and I could not afford an iPod. So, but the sound quality was amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I uh, my first remember? iPod was actually a uh, a classic, probably. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't remember which one it was, but at that point they had a, they extended the lineup and had a bunch of options. Yeah. Do you remember back in the halcyon days of the early 2000s when there were these websites running, you know, sign up for this trial and we'll give you a free iPod if you sign up for enough trials? Yeah, yeah. get your yeah. Uh, friends to click the link and you'd have to share it around like a pyramid yeah. scheme or something. That, that's how I got my first iPod. <laughs> that actually worked? Oh, yeah, dude, it was amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. I was, I was late to the game. My first iPod was actually the video iPod, the black one. And I watched the entire first two seasons of Lost on that thing. Really? Oh my God. <laughs> I was commuting. I was <laughs> really? actually, I was working in New York City at the time. I lived upstate. So I had an hour and a half train commute every day, ah. both ways. And that, I got the. What, I'm okay. sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, that's, I was just, I downloaded the first two seasons, put it on there, and I would watch it every day on the train. And it was amazing. <laughs> Is that why you have uh, glasses now? Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> it was it was very small. You know, it looked super sharp though cuz that screen was tiny. There um, is an irony in a show that was shot on location in Hawaii that was gorgeous and you're watching it on the size of a postage stamp. It is yeah, it is funny. But on that a was, train in upstate New York. I thought what well, yeah. One of the uh I thought maybe Lost and one of the other ones were the with some of the first TV shows to really gain popularity buying them through iTunes. And people would actually buy the whole seasons, uh, the whole season of it. I think that, that was kind of around that time when it, it started getting big. But yeah, wasn't it like uh, Family Guy got canceled, and then the sales on iTunes were so strong that they brought the show back, or something like that? Something like that. I don't remember. What were we gonna say, Shane? I was gonna say my favorite thing about the video iPod is that it came out like four months after Steve Jobs went on stage at the D conference or at some conference and said, "Nobody wants to watch video on an iPod." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, it was that and books. I mean, those are the two biggest things. Yeah. No one uh, wants video on an iPad. No one wants to uh, e-books, you know. Yeah, and, and you couldn't have a small tablet because you'd need to ship it with sandpaper to whittle down your fingertips. Yeah, or a big phone because then you can't reach the top. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Which is, a, which is a pain in the ass, by the way. I, totally I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> he was kind of right there. Uh, Bring back the 3.5-inch phone. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe you can get the new iPod you know, Neil, I have a little dumb phone here with like a 1.5-inch QVGA display if you want it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to buy a new iPod Touch. There you go. That's all you got to do. <laughs> and you can just FaceTime and uh, FaceTime audio call everybody. You don't need a phone in there. So I would just like to say I did that for a little while after my old iPhone got stolen on the train in China. Mm -hmm. Because China. And it's actually not like a terrible way to live. 
having just a phone to make phone calls and an iPod such to do everything else. Yeah, I mean, if you could tether it or if you got Wi-Fi most places, it might work the, out. The, yeah. the humanity having to use two, two devices. Oh, I know. Okay, so that's the iPod Touch. The next one, I definitely want to talk about this. Google's Project Fi. Uh, Google announced this yesterday. Basically making, or they have their own mobile network, basically piggybacking off T-Mobile and Sprint. They're using them as partners. But you can pay Google to be your phone service provider. It's Nexus 6 only right now. Uh, but it starts at $20 a month for calling, unlimited texting, and all that. Includes international texting unlimited which is pretty cool and then you pay ten dollars per gig of data that you're going to use after it so if you want two gigs of data per month you'd be paying forty dollars the twenty dollar base plus ten dollars per gig and uh, so there was rumors that google was going to do this for a while uh, but it seems super interesting and then if you do have um, an account through google's project fi you can use uh, you can make calls through chrome through ios devices uh, on your Mac, whatever can run Hangouts, uh, you can use your your phone number through Google to to make calls and text and all that kind of stuff. So this is super interesting. The first time we're seeing someone like you know a hardware manufacturer or a smartphone manufacturer doing something like this. For me, the best part of that is the the fact that data is not there's no separate international data right. uh, allotment. You pay for your one gig of data and you can use it whether you're in the U.S. or in Manila. That's yeah. amazing. I'm actually in the market right now for a new Android phone, and this well, will, presuming I actually get an invite, this will push me to the Nexus 6. Yeah, and you so. know, if they actually open this and you can you know, get a SIM card and put it in any unlocked device, I mean, it's a pretty tempting plan you know, for, for anybody. But the, the T-Mobile had that international data thing too, and I tried it. You know, they were saying international data is included. And I tried it. I went overseas with a T-Mobile SIM, and it's like super throttled. And it's unlimited, but it's like super slow. And you have to pay to get like faster internet if you're using T-Mobile's international. Yeah. So the free tier on T-Mobile is only Edge, right? And on uh, Google Fi, it's three G. I, I uh, did the math, and I mean, it wouldn't work it for me. I don't. I just if I was traveling internationally, it'd be a good thing to pick up because uh, one of the things that uh, it does is when you buy a plan, whatever unused data you, you have, you get the money back for it. So right. you could potentially, you know, presumably they'll give it back to you as a credit, but still, um, you could buy more data than you need, go travel internationally for a time, and then when you come back to the states, go back to your regular plan. But I get 15 gigs a month on a shared plan on AT&T, yeah. and, and it's three people, and I'm spending like 120 bucks. So the math doesn't work out for me on that, but yeah. it, for international, it'd be great. I think it's, we are focusing a lot on the cost, but I think there's also a separate um, bigger picture thing with this, which is that Google is attempting to turn mobile service into what it maybe always should have been, which is a dumb pipe. Um, the fact that you can roam on two different, you can it just automatically chooses whichever network is stronger. I think it's a huge selling point that's a little bit overlooked, right. um, especially because we all know how what a total failure AT and T's network is in a variety of everyday situations. Um, I mean, so the fact that I can go wherever and have two networks, two complementary networks to depend on and or Wi-Fi is uh, a big selling point. Yeah. Well, I can't go anywhere because I don't live in America, but you know, <laughs> theoretically, yeah. 
in a, in a utopian society, I could do that. That is pretty sweet. And again, that feature, if, if you know, listeners, if you don't know that since it piggybacks off T-Mobile and Sprint networks, the Nexus 6, whatever, will actually automatically go to the stronger signal between T-Mobile and Sprint wherever you are. So if Sprint LTE is stronger where you're at right now, it'll actually just switch to that network seamlessly and back and forth. And if you get on Wi-Fi, all your calls and stuff like that will go over Wi-Fi if that's stronger. So um, it is pretty interesting. And that is something like sometimes my iPhone will take forever to let go of a Wi-Fi network or, you know, kind of have to re turn off LTE data, turn it back on sometimes to make sure it connects after a phone call. So it'd be nice if it actually worked that seamlessly. All right, so also this week, there were a couple uh, articles about maps and Apple Maps. We had an exclusive that uh, there's a, some job listings that uh, may be confirming that public transit will be coming to Apple's map service, which would be... Finally. A, finally, yes, a welcome addition, especially for those in big cities like, you know, Neil in New York. That would be great. And also that uh, Nokia may be in the market to sell its here uh, mapping software, and Apple may be one of the people... Uh, looking at that acquisition or Nokia is at least trying to get Apple to, to acquire it. So that would be some welcome updates to, uh, to Apple's maps. I think we talked about it a little last week, you know, just what we're expecting in iOS nine. And I, I think that, uh, maps is in serious need of some upgrades. Uh, and hopefully we'll see that with iOS nine, uh, just because the lack of transit at this point is pretty inexcusable, I think. And now what do you guys use, uh, Apple maps or Google maps by default? Well, I default uh, to Google Maps because I have to use the train schedules trains. and stuff, and I can't do it on Apple Maps, even though they acquired HopStop like two years ago. Right. Yeah, I, I still use Maps, ma Apple Maps, but um, I live on an island, so we don't really have much in the way of uh, public transport besides the, our bus system. Um, I use Google Maps because while I also live on an island, we have a massive public transportation infrastructure. Right. And... It's impossible. I don't really use it for public transit, to be honest with you, but uh, searching for a business or something on Apple Maps over here is horrific. I do find, oh, like, I'll, there there'll be a business that I know is there, and I search for it in Apple Maps, and it just does not show up. And I have to try various combinations of the business name, and sometimes I have to put in the address, and sometimes we'll just not find a business to call, and I'll have to switch to Google Maps, and of course, it finds it. Yeah. First time I, run, time. I run into those problems with Google too, though. I don't think that that's a Apple specific thing at that point. So there's a lot of businesses that show up when you search that aren't open or they have the wrong location. I think mapping yeah. is just yeah. hard. I think it's it's not so much that they don't they have the wrong location or whatever. It, it's just that Apple's search just seems to not work very well. Like this afternoon is a perfect example. I was in um, Shanghaipo, which is a neighborhood of Hong Kong that's known as like the the electronics mecca, right? It's if you're building a robot or something, it's where you go. And I apparently found the only block like in that radius that doesn't have a Seven Eleven on literally every corner. And so I was looking for one, and I typed seven eleven, like the num the numbers in Apple Maps, and it found nothing. I typed that in Google Maps, and I found them all because it's seven e l e v e n. <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that just absolutely destroys me with Apple Maps. I mean, yeah. they have $170 billion. Can we not lure, like, one Google search engineer, please? So the other thing, too, with Google Maps, you know, if you're a business owner, there's Google Places that um, basically allows business owners to uh, register their business to actually prove that they're the owner, and then they can edit their business listing. This way, when people search for it in Google Maps, it comes up with all the right info, has the website, store hours, things like that. 
And uh, it's pretty easy to, to do that. They'll send you a postcard or they'll call the business and like give you a verification code. So Apple also has that. It's like a Maps Connect service, but they only uh, let you register or prove your ownership of the business by phone. And in the automated service, um, it can't tell when there's like an, a menu. So like when I tried doing it for my job, it like would never get past the menu in order for me to answer it and get the verification code. And there's no option to like mail a postcard or get something in the mail so you can confirm ownership. So I've like our website's wrong, our our hours are wrong, but I have no way to change that on Apple Maps. Whereas Google, it's relatively easy. So, did you try reporting it just through the iOS app? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure because you can report errors through there. And um, when Apple Maps first launched, um, like for example, uh, in my home in Orlando. Uh, there was a change to the the freeway down the street for me. And so I was just trying to help out Apple Maps and they still had the old freeway layout with the different, you know, interchange and stuff. And so I kept reporting like, hey, the interstate has changed here and then it never changed. And then I saw something like a couple of years ago, uh, there was like a thread that started on Reddit where people were saying that they were noticing that changes were being implemented like the next day if people reported them. So they kind of beefed up the team there and they did in fact change and I went back and checked and they had fixed the interstate there. So I think they have a more routine process now for uh, addressing reported errors through the app um, and people were kind of aggressively doing that to try to help and improve the maps. So you might try doing that. Okay. Well, I'll try to do that. I mean, I'd I like to be able to you know, claim ownership too, just to make sure like, so other people don't report errors and it gets changed. But, but yeah, yeah, I'll definitely, I will try that. And I've heard, you know, Nokia maps are actually really good internationally. You know, so if that is an acquisition yeah. Apple makes, it may improve it dramatically. Here maps is extraordinary. I, when I first heard that they were, um, looking to sell the here division, I told Neil, please, Jesus, let Apple buy here maps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 3.2 billion. That's like a sofa change. For uh, Tim Cook, so does uh, Here Maps have public transit? <sighs> they do in some places. Um, they don't over here, I don't think, unless they've added it recently. But their actual, like, their ground truth. I mean, I hate to use this word, but their ground truth, their ability to have the actual the street actually be where the street's supposed to be, is amazing. I have never once been steered wrong by Here Maps ever. Primarily probably because they are based on Navtech, which was the first, I guess, or one right. of the first digital mapping companies. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So you said 3.2 for a very, very long time. 3.2 billion is the price, right? Yes. Yeah, that would make it, so that would edge out Beats. That would actually be the largest acquisition in Apple's history if they did that. They're not past it. I mean, they're spending billions of dollars on forests oh, and solar yeah, power. I, I think it would be money well spent if yeah. it improved maps. I mean, they've had how long now to get maps fixed? Yeah. And again, the public transit is is inexcusable. Hopstop was a great app. They bought it and they've done nothing with it. So yeah. it, it's got it's got to be done soon. You know, you still can't choose a default like email app, a default contact app, default maps app. So like, yeah. especially with a watch, you know, if you try to get directions with the watch, it's going to be Apple Maps. There's just no way around yeah. it. And so it would definitely be, be behoove them to improve it. So, all right, go ahead. What I was going to say is you said it's inexcusable that they haven't done anything with Hopstop after acquiring it. What else is inexcusable is the terrible, terrible coverage of their 3D maps. It's only in like 40 cities or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still, years later. Yeah, yeah that crazy. was a I mean, hugely I, touted it, feature, and it's really neat. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really think it has much of a practical application. It's just kind of a gee whiz feature, but... 
uh, still, the fact that they don't have most major cities mapped is crazy to me. Well, in the absence of Street View, I actually, um, if I'm ever in a city that has it, which I'm not because for some unexplainable reason, Hong Kong is not included, <laughs> um, I use it to in, in lieu of Street View. Yeah, and you can actually get pretty close, you know, to kind of see where the streets are in between buildings in some cities. Uh, but it's still, you know, street view to be able to see a storefront, you know, in a shopping plaza. So you know exactly what it's going to look like when you get there. You know, there's nothing else like that. So and you can do street view my... inside of buildings, too. I saw one right. the other day for a concert venue I was going to and I Googled it and yeah. it said, do you want to see inside? And I could literally do the same thing where I'd walk around on the floor inside the venue to see what it looked like. It was yeah. crazy. And you can do that with the um, tall building in Dubai. I'm going to butcher the name if I try to do it. Which which one? The tallest <laughs> building in the world. <laughs> The really tall one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and <laughs> the say tall, it. Oh, the, yeah, the tall, sorry, the tallest building in the world. Yeah, it's the Burj Dubai. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, the, the yeah, that one. You can do, do Google Maps <laughs> and that, and you can see the views. What I was going to say is I use Street View a lot to, um, in cities with tall buildings where GPS reception sucks to figure out where on the street a business actually is. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Versus where I am. Because you can use it to sort of look around and say, oh, I'm actually down here when the GPS says I'm, you know, 100 yards in the opposite direction. Right, right. And I used it, I used Google Maps in London. Um, Working in the travel business, I had to like take pictures of landmarks and, uh, you know, get some video footage. And before I left, we dropped, like we created a Google Map with pins for every landmark. And it was like crazy accurate. And it was like super easy to find everyone following myself on uh, on the Google Map. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's still pretty far ahead. And they've updated, like, my house is on Street View about two or three times since uh, Maps has been out, Apple Maps. So, like Do you guys uh, play Ingress, the Google thing? Uh, no, no, I played Pac-Man in Google, uh, Google Maps, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> Ingress is like a game on Maps where it, like, helps them, I guess, you know, uh, sort out their... Uh, improve the maps thing, but they've turned it, they've gamified it so people play it. And I was actually standing on the street the other day looking at my phone, and two people came up to me and they're like, Hi, are you the one around here on Ingress? I was like, No. What? And they were like, Oh, okay. And then walked away. It was like this awkward conversation. Is that something it's built in? It's huge over here. Yeah, I've, it's cross platform. You can do it on iPhone and you can do it on Android. And I don't really, I've never done it. I don't understand how it works. Uh, but you just like are tapping stuff on a map as you pass by it, apparently. So, all right. So I'll give you the five-second ingress tutorial. Go ahead. They have, they overlay virtual portals in the world, right? And there's two teams, two ingress teams, and you can capture each other's portals. But to capture a portal, you have to actually be at the portal, right? I see. So ingress is all about walking around the world, you know, and hmm. capturing these portals. Actually, it's actually- huge over here. Like I have, I have a friend in the Philippines who gets together. Um, 50 or I shit you not 50 or 60 people and they all go ingress portal hunting you know, like on the weekends wow so it's made by google it's a google yeah it's app. a it's a yeah. google project and presumably you know it's helping them flesh out maps that looks pretty cool i'm gonna be honest i think it started as a 20 percent time thing because it's not it's not actually by google it's by a google subsidiary called something that i suddenly escapes me Okay. But yeah, I think it started as a twenty percent time thing, and now that it, and once it became popular, they uh, they decided to expand it. It was a year or something before it was available on iOS officially. Wow. Well, if you play Ingress, let us know. Comment on the post. <laughs> That's pretty wild. All right. Well, the last thing I wanted to cover: the uh, Natalie Karras 
longtime Apple PR director announced that she is retiring. And uh, we also saw today that uh, Randy Ubilos is uh, also retiring after working for Apple for 20 years. So two uh, pretty big positions in Apple, and um, they're heading out. No word on where either of them are going. Uh, Randy said he's just looking forward to retirement, so it may not be going anywhere. And uh, no word yet on the Natalie Karras. And Natalie's been there, I think, 15, more, maybe 15 years or more. So, you know, both of them have been through iPod, iPhone, iPad, and, and uh, Natalie Karras even worked on PR for the Apple Watch uh, in the, you know, past year or so. So uh, two people that you know, be looking to, uh, Apple will be looking to replace, I presume. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of shakeup in their PR. It's probably worth pointing out that um, Randy Ulios was not only the head of Final Cut, but he basically invented non-linear, non-linear video editing on the desktop. So yeah, well, Adobe Premiere, Final Cut, all of that, you have him to thank. Right. I was reading uh, our article, uh, of course, and <laughs> you know he started out at Adobe, where he worked on the first three yeah. versions of Premiere, and then went to Macromedia, where he helped uh, he created Key Grip, which is a video editing uh, software based on QuickTime, and then Key Grip was uh, purchased uh, by Apple, or the uh, or Key Grip turned into Final Cut. Apple bought the Final Cut team, and then that's where you have Final Cut. And uh, Ubilos is also responsible for iMovie and Aperture, um, which of course discontinued now, but still, that's that's a pretty hefty resume to be responsible for all that. So that's pretty impressive. Quite the career. And he was a uh... An Apple Distinguished Engineer, which is the, the sort of highest echelon of Apple employees. So, this is pretty wild. So, those two, um, Randy Ubilos and Natalie Karras uh, retiring. And uh, there's also the new uh, Director of Communications. Steve Dowling. Steve Dowling. Steve Dowling, yeah. He was just appointed. Uh, yep. So, so definitely some change over there. Uh, yeah, they're supposed to be friendlier, but... <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep telling <clears throat> themselves that. I always think it's funny, if you're listening... Uh, communications director that you know phil schiller tim cook all of them have like twitter handles apple has like the itunes store twitter handle podcasting ibooks and app store uh twitter accounts but there's no official apple twitter account still and maybe they're just trying to avoid the bag of hurt that would be (laughs) twitter having an official apple twitter account but uh yes it's not there i always thought that was interesting well there's a lot of there's a lot of big companies that only have Twitter accounts for sub-brands. Like the BBC does that. They have at BBC, but they've never tweeted from at BBC, I don't think. It's all their individual channels and shows. Okay. But, I mean, I mean Google so, has it, uh, obviously Microsoft. And uh, I'm looking now, twitter.com slash Apple. Uh, no tweets. At Apple hasn't tweeted yet. Just an egg as an avatar. And uh, 32.9 thousand followers. So there you go. Uh, so who knows? I mean, maybe that's actually owned by Apple. They just haven't tweeted yet, but don't bother following it. I hope it's not owned by Apple. I hope it's just some girl who likes apples <laughs> and decided to get at Apple on Twitter and then never use it. Got in on the ground floor. The ground floor. Okay. Well, I think that does it for today. Again, stay tuned for Apple Watch coverage. Hopefully, uh, we'll be getting a one tomorrow, and uh, we'll do uh, some periscopes, some unboxing, some videos, things like that. Uh, Neil, where can people find you on the internet? You can read my stuff at Apple Insider, and you can follow me on Twitter at thisisneil. Shane, where can people find you in the Bermuda Triangle? As ever, I am in the Bermuda Triangle, yes, and right next to Neil at Apple Insider. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Robles. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. So tweet at us at Apple Insider or email news at appleinsider.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, which you'll get once a week with all the top stories delivered to your inbox. And we would really appreciate if you rate us in the iTunes store. Give us five stars and a comment there. And you can also comment on the post when it goes up. We'd love to interact with you there as well. Thanks again for tuning in as always, and we'll see you next week.